Welcome to Invoking Witchcraft, the podcast where the sacred and profane come out to play. So call the quarters and set the round. It's time for another episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Invoking Witchcraft. We are so glad you are here. I am Britton, also known as Archaic Honey on Instagram, and I am here with J. Allen Cross, also known as at Oregon Woodwitch on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Awesome. How are you doing, Jay? What's new? I am doing pretty good. Pretty good. I am. <laughs> I am quickly coming to the end of my rope, and I'm so, so glad that we did the discernment series that we just kind of finished a few episodes ago, um, because right now I have both a imposter account on TikTok and several of them on Instagram, and neither one of these platforms are doing anything, even though they've been reported. It's it's just gotten out of control. But what I do have is about 500 DMs of people going, did you know you have an imposter? Did you know you have an imposter? I paid them so much money, blah, 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 all this stuff. And I'm like, discernment. Because the thing is, is that these platforms are not going to help us. They're not going to do anything about the scammers. So it's really in our hands now. And I'm getting to the point with it where I'm... I'm getting frustrated that people aren't seeing through it. Like, Mm -hmm. and I posted this thing in my story too, where I'm like, I'm a little offended that people get a a message that's like all misspelled. That's like, hello, would you like me to consider you a reading? And then like 52 emojis afterwards. And people are going, yeah, that totally sounds like him. And I'm like, excuse me. (laughs) Like, I'm offended (laughs) that you didn't look at that and go that, that doesn't sound like him. Right. (laughs) Like, right. Right. Well, I'm sorry you're going through that. I, I don't have any imposter accounts that I know of under my name. So I'm really just fingers crossed that I'm just going to get completely overlooked by the imposter people and not have my account hijacked. That will happen after your book comes out. I promise. (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, Yeah, not looking forward to it. It's inevitable. Seems like everyone's got an imposter account these days. Even like small accounts too. Like, it's just all over the place. Just, and they don't have to hide it anymore because Instagram has basically come out and just simply said, we're not going to do anything about it. So at this point, it's just learn discernment or give a scammer your money and Jesus take the wheel. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, it's just so wild. Um, yeah. But you have exciting stuff coming up. I know that you have a, is this your first perfume launch with your current business? Yes, it is. Oh. Um, I, so I don't, so yeah, just for folks who don't know, it's the airing of this episode will be after my shop update. So don't, think that you can go and buy my perfumes. Sorry, (laughs) y'all. Yeah. So I used to do perfuming with an old business of mine, left that business and then created my new business, um, which has been going now for like five years or so. And um, yeah, this is my first perfume collection where I'm working with like synthetic aroma compounds and essential oils to create really unique blends. Um, Mm. you're kind of limited with just essential oil blends, which is what like my tarot oil series is. Mm. Um, so like, you know, for example, if somebody's selling you a perfume oil that has like bubble gum as the note, like, and they Mm. claim that it's all natural, that's a lie. It it requires aroma compounds. So Mm -hmm. synthetics are safe, uh, for the most part. And actually folks who have allergies to, to fragrances, very often experience less allergies with synthetics because essential oils can be quite activating um, and sensitizing to folks. So I know there's a lot of like controversy and debate about synthetics and perfume, um, but they're quite safe and whatnot. So I've got some really cool blends coming out and I've been working on this collection for about a month and a half now. And I'm really excited. I have one perfume called basic witch And it's hella basic. It's got all your pumpkin, your coffee, your amethyst. It's just going to be, it's so good. 
(laughs) That sounds so wonderful. I love, especially in the fall, I get super basic and I'm just like, bring me the Uggs, bring me the pumpkin spice latte, sweater weather. We are here. Like, mm-hmm. um, very into it. So I can't I can't wait to see what happens with this. And we actually got I a see. weather update over here. <laughs> I got a weather alert and I'm like, oh God, what the fuck is happening? And they're like, <laughs> they're like, brace yourself. Fall weather is coming. That was literally <laughs> what the alert said. They're like, it's gonna get colder and rainier, so just be aware. And I'm like, <laughs> seriously. Great. That's an awesome weather update. (laughs) Yeah, the weather's really shifting out here. It's definitely fall time. Like it's starting to dip below freezing at night, uh, which is really exciting. So um, that frosty shit going. Yeah, I did see a little while ago all the like influencer witchy people were just going crazy over the pumpkin cold cream cold brews at Starbucks. (laughs) And I'm not a huge Starbucks fan. I'd rather support the local little coffee shop. But let me tell you what, I got one of those cold brew, cold cream, pumpkin things. They're really good. (laughs) I bet that shit sounds sexy. And I am ready for it. I do not even care. People are like, oh, pumpkin spice, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, fuck you. I love me some pumpkin spice. Yeah, it's so yeah. good. And I'm I'm also starting to get like the baking itch. I really want to make cinnamon buns and I'm starting a sourdough starter with like mountain spring water mm. and like organic flour and I'm just uh, yeah, all the that baking. So magical. Oh, I wonder can you do like like sourdough sweet rolls? Is that a thing that happens? Oh, I bet. A sourdough cinnamon roll? Ooh, that sounds yeah. sexy. My mom made once like cinnamon rolls, but they were, it was like a different variation where it wasn't cinnamon. They used cardamom. Yes. I've been thinking about cardamom too. Yes. Cardamom and orange blossom. Let's get to baking. Let's just go bake. Absolutely. This time of year, I just watched the great British baking show or bake off or whatever it is. Cause it's so soothing. And you know, I have a KitchenAid mixer. We just kind of, we're going to bake our way through this fall season. That show is so wholesome and sweet. It's not that oh. like Americanized, like must compete and annihilate everyone else. You Who know, will come out on top. <laughs> Flames, explosions. Right. <laughs> and it's just this sweet show where everybody supports one another and mm-hmm. such cool baking happens. I love that show. There was one that I found on, just because I love British television, there was one that I found on Netflix a while back called Escape to the Country, which is like, it's like a, like a real estate house buying show for people in the UK. And they're like, all these houses, they're like, so the the basic setup of the show is like, we're going to show you three houses that meet the description of what you're looking for, along with like a mystery house, which is like something like maybe different, maybe kind of out of the blue that like maybe they hadn't considered. Um, and so it's just them being like, and here we have this 400 year old English cottage in the countryside for $150,000 American. Uh, <laughs> and it's like gorgeous in this like rolling hills landscape just absolutely beautiful and so they show all of these houses to them and then at the end they're supposed to kind of like pick one but it's british so there's like no pressure on it at all like you know in the united states would be like hey which home are you moving into forever and like never leaving again but in this one it's like they're like so we've shown you these four houses what do you feel and these people are like i thought they were great they're like See you next week. <laughs> no, it's like they, sometimes they don't even pick one. They're just like, yeah, they were really lovely. And that's like it. There's like no pressure. It's just like really beautiful homes that I super want to move to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I love about British television and uh, like British documentaries is it's like just information. There's no like sensationalized climactic thing going on. And whatnot. Yeah. And a lot of people find British documentaries really dry, but I love them. They're <sighs> they're one of my favorites. Um, an excellent series to check out is called um, Tales from the Green Valley. And it's about a team of historians and archaeologists that rebuild a Stuart era farm. And they live and work on the farm 
as though it were the Stuart era. So they're like plowing with like a wooden plow and they're using period breeds of horses and, and cows and like um, pigs. And it's just so cool. I love it so much. It's like one of my most cozy favorite things to watch. It's really neat. And they get into folklore too and whatnot, like wassailing trees, the apple trees and whatnot. It's really neat. Oh my God, that sounds wonderful. And I love that sort of kind of lifestyle, that sort of like old school, traditional home study sort of thing. Honestly, I really want to be Amish. Like I, I've actually looked into what it takes to join an Amish community, but turns out they don't like it when you're gay and they also don't like it when you're a witch. And so uh, probably not. Um, but I love the idea of it. I know. Right. I know. Why can't we just go create our own like queer farm back to the land community, which I mean, they exist, but let's go do that. Let's do it. That's so this podcast will turn into, it's going to turn into like a, a queer permaculture colony. Let's do it. Let's start a cult. I think we should. Right. Just a little culty. That's what a friend of mine and I have been talking about. We're just going to go start like a weird firm cult. A little culty. Just a little bit. So we've we've jabbered a lot. What are we chatting about today? We are talking about, drumroll, books. We're going to be talking books. about books, our favorite books, books that have touched us in different ways, emotionally, all kinds of stuff, um, and kind of give you guys some recommendations because that's something that we get kind of the most as kind of Instagram, which is with followings as we get a lot of people messaging us, can you recommend a book for this? Can you recommend a book for that? Um, and so we just want to talk about books here, kind of get some of the our favorite titles out there, get you guys some recommendations. But where I think we should sort of start is both of us are officially authors. We are people who have written our own books, um, or are finishing our books. Are you, are you still on the last chapter? Yes, I have like 5,000 words left. I am seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and it's absolutely terrifying. But it's the best as well. I love it. Um, <laughs> so when you've been on kind of both sides of the book world, both kind of like behind the scenes and kind of receiving the books as well, um, you, you get a different kind of perspective. You get some different things out of it. So from your perspective as an author... Um, (laughs) are there things that you feel like people should know about the book writing or publishing process that might maybe impact how they feel about books or, or something that maybe just surprised you about the process? Gosh, well, I'm still, you know, in the beginning phase of the book writing process, because I'm just, you know, working on my manuscript, I haven't submitted it yet and whatnot. And I think a lot of the times, at least I have done this, this is my personal experience, I've gotten books, flipped through them and chucked them to the side. Whereas now when I get a book, I'm, I, I look at it and I'm like, this is a tender object that somebody spent a lot of time putting together. And mm-hmm. I should honor that process by like thoroughly reading the book and absorbing mm-hmm. what that person has to say, even if I disagree with it or not, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, So I think that's something that has changed for me having written, like having written a book um, is like really allowing space to see what the author had to say and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really important thing because I was that way too before I released a book is I would kind of open it, flip to the sections that I would be interested in then like maybe go back and read the other parts. Um, And then you release a book and then people do that to your book. And then you're like, no, (laughs) because there's a reason why we structure the book the way that it is. It's kind of like, um, like my husband's a musician and he was talking about this with albums. There's a reason why you, you know, put the tracks in the order that they are, why you choose the first song, things like that. It's the same thing with a book. And so I can tell who actually has read my book cover to cover and who hasn't based on the reviews. Mm-hmm. Because people will be like, man, like, like mad about something. I'm like, no, I explained that in the introduction. And if you had read that, you wouldn't be upset about it. So I, I do agree that it is important to 
at the very least read like the first few chapters to like get oriented with the material before you then skip around. Um, mm-hmm. If you're going to skip around, I, I do very much agree with that. Mm-hmm. I really like that parallel that uh, your partner made with an album. Cause like yeah. recently a favorite artist of mine released an album and I'd like skipped to the song that had the coolest, coolest title, which was uh, I suck the devil's cock. Oh yeah. <laughs> Isn't that a great title? So I skipped to the to that song and I was like, hold up, hold up. I need to to absorb the whole experience here and really listen to the fullness of it because yeah, they do put it in an order for a reason. And I do hope that folks read my book from cover to cover. That's my hope. Um and that they and you know that they enjoy it. It's it's a spicy, it's a spicy book. I love a good spicy book. I love a good one. And honestly, I feel like if it's not spicy, I'm like, what are we even doing here? If we're not challenging some sort of norm or paradigm or something like that, if if it's not spicy, it means that we haven't brought something new to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to talk about fluffy books a little bit later because fluffy books absolutely have their place. But when it comes to like, especially like your first like debut piece, I feel like you should come with something to say. And I really feel like you have. And I'm very proud of you for doing that. And I, I can't oh my wait God. to see Thank what you. you've done. I'm so, I'm so scared. <laughs> I'm just like, I was talking with Temperance Alden, who wrote uh, Year of the Witch. And um, she was just like, yeah, people are going to hate what you write. Just accept Oh, yeah, that. absolutely. Yep. Like, it's, and it's fine. So I accept that. Yeah. The weird thing about being an author in this day and age, especially an author like us with social media presence, is that, you know, back in the day, 10, 15, 20 years ago, if you released a book and people didn't like it, you didn't really necessarily hear about it unless like it was a big deal or like someone released like a really big review in like a big magazine or something like that. But nowadays, this is something I found out shortly after, uh, my book was released. It's if someone doesn't like your book, they have a direct link to you to find you right. online to tell you directly. Um, and so that does happen. Um, and people, the, the thing though, the thing though, and this is something that I've been told a lot. And I was talking with my friend, uh, Laura, who is, uh, Daphne La Hechicera, um, on Instagram, that are talking about, you know, as writers, we are responsible for for what we write, for what we put on the page, for um, the information that we're trying to convey. But what we're not responsible for is the reaction that people have to it. Because everyone is going to read this thing through a filter that is all theirs. Like I had a lot of people come at me alleging that I said things in the book that I didn't, mm-hmm. but that's what they read in the material. Um, so people will, will kind of just what's on the page versus what they, you know, process it as is different. And so you're going to run into that as well, where like, you're going to be like, um, like, I think I told you about Anwin's book. Anwin had like one line in her book where she used the word smudging and someone wrote like this big, long review about how awful it was that someone who was writing a Celtic water magic book was talking, was talking about smudging. And so she went on to like search in her manuscript to find like where that part was. She's like, oh my gosh, did I weirdly just put in a section on smudging? Like, I don't remember that. And it was literally one line that was like, you know, like, like burning herbs in Celtic culture is a thing. And this is similar to something like smudging um, was mm-hmm. like what the line was. Oh my gosh. Um, so people will people will absorb something completely different than you wrote. But that is that's you can't control that. And you just have to just kind of be like, okay, good luck. Yeah, yeah. I'm in acceptance that people are not going to understand what I'm trying to convey. And that's okay. You know, um, I just really hope that it doesn't come to like being canceled or something like that. But you know what? That's fine too. If somebody wants to try and cancel me, um, that's okay. I've been listening to this really great podcast called fucking canceled by Clementine Morgan. Um, and they talk a lot about their own cancellation experience and just like the dehumanization of cancel culture and how it, it like completely removes almost all ability for a person to like live 
and thrive in the world and grow and change. You know, cancel culture doesn't make space for people to grow and change and whatnot. So sorry, yeah. going off on like a cancel tangent, but you know, it's always a possibility, but that's okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And the thing is too, that people don't understand is that when you are an author writing a book, you are contractually obligated to not show it to anybody except for like your editor and like a handful of people that are doing endorsements or reviews for it, which means that you don't get a chance to measure how the bulk of the population is going to receive or understand what you've put in the book. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard thing because you'll feel like, oh, I'm very clear about this. And this is kind of the reason why I'm doing this. And that will all make sense to you. But once it's released, you haven't had an opportunity to sort of like temperature check it with, you know, hundreds, thousands of people, you know, so there's, there's really no way of knowing until it's out there. Um, you know, it's kind of like when they do, you know, polls with small groups of people, like, it's like, yeah, like these 10 people we asked really loved it. But then once you give it to like a thousand people or whatever, but mm-hmm. I don't want you to worry because it's going to be fine. And like five people are going to try and cancel you. And like a thousand people are going to love you. So it's going to be fine. And I will be here and other authors will be here and we'll all just take our meds and hide for a while. Right. Yeah. I love how this episode is becoming a, a, like a pep talk slash coaching session for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's gonna happen. But these are things that I feel like I wish just more people would understand about, you know, releasing a book and stuff like that is like, you do your best. And then you release it to the world. And then and then you just live your life. Yep. I'm just going to live my life. I think what I'm going to do after my book is I'm just going to take a really, really long vacation because I've been mm -hmm. like grinding nose to the grindstone for like a year now. And I need a break. I'm going to do a lot of camping next year. I'm not going to look at my phone. Uh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I think that's going to be the perfect idea. And that's what I was told too. They're like, great, your book releases today go somewhere without internet connection for like two weeks. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, Definitely, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of moving forward on this, when you go to choose a book on witchcraft, are there certain things that you, that you look for? Um, You know, I admit that I do look at reviews um, before I Mm -hmm. purchase a book, because let's be real. A lot of us are purchasing our books through Amazon. Um, I look for reviews that are both good and bad because a lot of times a bad review can tell you exactly what you want to hear about the book or like what a lot of the times it tells you more about the reviewer than it does the book. Um, But I find them valuable um, because a lot of times people get riled up about what's uh, upsetting them about the book, um, which gives me an idea what the book's about. And I like to read books that, you know, have controversial takes or is challenging the status quo. So I really appreciate um, just reading reviews and getting a feel for what it's about. Then I I look um, up information about the author what their background is. Um, I really love it when my favorite people on Instagram share about a book that they really are loving at at the moment. So um, what else, you know, when I get the book, I take a look at the bibliography or the resources in the back of the book to see what their influences are. Um, Yeah, I think that's kind of, it's pretty basic for me. I like that. Yeah. I always look for things like, um, like I do want there to be actual like spell instructions in it for things like recipes or whatever, but I want it to not be just that. Like I, I want theory. I want some discussion and analysis of how magic works, certain takes on why these things are important and whatnot. I think that the background information is often a lot more important than just the spells itself. Mm-hmm. Um, And I really like things that kind of go in depth. I like, you know, I love a good book that's just like, you know, 
25 spells to make your home happy or whatever. Like, that's great. And I love those for like inspiration and stuff when you're like, oh God, I need to do a spell. How do I go about it? Maybe you can like glance at what they're doing. You're like, oh, okay, that kind of helps get me started. Um, But I like books that that go further, that have more depth to them, um, that talk about things like, um, uh, especially like like old sort of like witch beliefs. I, I'll probably talk about The Flame in the Cauldron by Orion Foxwood quite a bit in this, but he talks about like like the web and actually like interacting with it or like Raven Grimassi's work. Um, we'll talk about the shadow or the howl uh, or the hollow, um, which is really important that we don't, get to hear about a lot at least in a in a serious manner mm-hmm. um so i like those things kind of like these myth these kind of like legendary or mythological places or or things that are unique to the witch or the understanding of the witch um which i like that's also why i like via hedera's book a lot too mm-hmm. another thing that i really appreciate about books and um authors and their writing style and whatnot is personal stories that then get translated mm-hmm. into a lesson um, it's not witchcraft book by any means, but it's quite a popular book, um, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kemmerer. And, um, a lot of that book is her personal stories and experiences that then are, that she like metabolizes and digests on the paper into a learning experience. And in this deep wisdom, it's, it's an utterly beautiful book. So if you can get your hands on it, go read it. Um, brings a lot of animacy to the world. Um, if you're a person who like struggles with the idea of animism, it's a, a great, great book. But that's one thing that I also appreciate is when I get to read the personal stories and experiences yeah. of other people. Because, you know, it does sometimes books get, you know, into theory a lot and and whatnot, which is great. But I want to read like that nitty gritty experience somebody had yeah. and like what happened for them. I really love that. And that's, Part of how I wrote my book was like a lot of my own experiences because that's really, you know, all I've got is like my personal experiences with stuff. Well, I think that's so important because you're going to be amazed at the number of people who have similar experiences and how amazing that was for them to get to see that. Like in my book, my book was very vulnerable where I'm like, look, this is what it was like for me to grow up Mexican-American. And so many people, even people who aren't Mexican-American, but other types of mixed race or, or mixed cultural background and things like that have messaged me like, I felt seen for the first time reading your book. And I know what it's like to have that feeling when a, something like a book, even like a witchcraft book where, where you don't really expect it to feel seen by it is yes, really important. And I think that your book is going to provide that for people. Oh, I hope so. One book that just popped into my mind that I felt really seen by was Orion Foxwood's uh, Candle at the Crossroads. Mm, that um, was a good one. That is such a good book. I uh, really love that one. That was a good one, too, because you don't hear, like, I like the weird detail stuff in it, too. You don't hear people talk about sin eating a lot these days. Mm-hmm. That's something that's, like, old school um that was in the book that i really like i like that stuff where it kind of brings back something that maybe we've forgotten or something that's fallen out of practice um Mm -hmm. and then kind of go back and and talk about that which is i i do really love that in a book Mm -hmm. yeah a lot of those um old old traditions are being forgotten because elders are you know unable to pass it on or like the youth aren't interested in taking it on like for example i had um He's my adopted grandfather, uh, but his mother was a fire talker. I think that's how you word it. She was able to talk burns and fire out of people's bodies. Oh. And um, I talked with my my grandfather about it, and he was like, yeah, she had this gift that she could just speak a burn out of somebody's body by laying hands on them and praying. And he said that she the only way for her to pass it on was to somebody who was unrelated to her and was like female. And so it was passed on from generation to generation of healers. And yeah, that kind of stuff is really fascinating. And I, and in Orion's work, he does talk about a lot of those like old traditions. I love that. That is so neat. Cause there are so many of them like, um, in, I, I believe it's in the Southwest, some of the native American tribes, they have something called like hand trembling, 
which is mm-hmm. kind of like a diagnostic sort of like medical form of, of magic. Um, and like in my family too, and what's interesting is, you know, in this day and age, because magic needs to be marketable, it's everyone can do this. Everyone can do this. You don't need to be special at all. Um, but when it comes to these kind of older things, that wasn't necessarily the case. Like she couldn't just tell you, oh yeah, do this and this and this, and then it will work for you. She had to follow certain rules. She had to give it to somebody who wasn't related to her, who was female, things like that. Um, my grandfather is a very talented water dowser. Um, Mm -hmm. And when he does it, it's amazing to watch because he holds the switch upright for as long as possible. And then it shoots down so hard that a lot of the times it will rip out of his hand and like stick into the ground and he'll be left with bark in his hands. It will strip the bark off of it. It will go down so fast and so hard. And when he was teaching me how to do it, it was like on his 90th birthday And he's like, he's like, I'm like, so how does this work? He's like, you can either do it or you can't. There was no like, everyone can do this. It's open. Like he was just like, it either works or it doesn't. And he was telling me the story about how his dad could do it and he can do it. But he had several brothers and he has four brothers that couldn't do it. None of them could do it but him. And he was telling me that even when he'd be doing it and he'd start to feel the, the switch moving to point towards the water, like he'd start to feel it working if one of his brothers would come over and put their hand on his shoulder, it would stop working. Whoa. And I'm like, why? He's like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Cause that's just the old folk shit. I don't know. It it either works or it doesn't like, and we didn't really see a lot of this, like, Oh yeah, everyone can do this until it became a marketing thing that we're seeing nowadays. So Mm -hmm. that's. Yeah. Maybe you do have to be special. Maybe, but don't tell people that. Cause no. <laughs> Speaking of getting canceled. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so back on the books, back on the books. Sorry, y'all, we are taking side roads here, but they're wonderful. Um, so favorite publishers, do, do you have like a go-to favorite publisher that you like to reach for? I think I know where you like to Oh, have. yeah, we all know. My favorite publisher is Scarlet Imprint. Um, You know, they're very specialty books. Um, Not only do they publish like gorgeous hardback. um, Like embossed, gorgeous. Embossed, like the um, pages are like, uh, there's like that dip dyeing they do Mm -hmm. um, with the swirls and stuff. There's a word for that. And I can't think of it right now. Um, But their books are phenomenal and incredible and greatly needed during this, this global shift that we're all going through right now. Um, and I like them for very specific topics. Um, but otherwise, uh, I generally, honestly, um, wiser red wheel. Um, I really do appreciate their publishing, uh, and their books. That's who you're published with. Correct. Yeah. 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 Um, I really do like their titles um, and they put out a lot of really great books. And so it's like, if I'm looking for a new witchy book or something along those lines, I go and take a look at their catalog and see, you know, and keep up to date with their new releases and whatnot. Um, But otherwise, you know, I'm often just looking at titles and reviews and like people sharing about a book. And I don't necessarily always look at the uh, publisher. Mm hmm. But nowadays, as I'm becoming an author, now I'm starting to pay attention to the publishing side of it because, um, yeah, it's fascinating, uh, the realm of publishing. And you kind of know who's like, who's just trying to make a buck and like, who's really serious about it Mm -hmm. and whatnot. And like, also who treats their authors well, as well. Absolutely. And I think that's really important to talk about too, is just kind of like, some some of these publishers I've heard horror stories from, and I've I've had not great experiences as well. But um, but I think it is true that each kind of publishing house will have a different flavor of kind of what it puts out. Um, I really adore Wiser. I, they were the ones who did my first book, and I do hope to continue with them in the future. They they tend to put out a very kind of serious selection of books. Um, they don't publish as often. But when they do, um, they put out things that are that are really good a lot of the time. I, I like a lot of their stuff. They tend to be kind of heavy hitter books for people that are looking for a little bit more. Um, I do like Llewellyn too. Llewellyn is fun, but uh, Llewellyn 
is more broad. Um, yeah. So they have, so whereas Wiser is going to be more like witchcraft, folk magic specifically, Llewellyn tends to expand a lot bigger into like um, a lot of things like, you know, crystal, healing, paranormal, things like that. So if you're looking for something, um, and Llewellyn publishes frequently, like a lot of books. So if I'm looking for like, I'll go to Llewellyn if I want something like neat, like, you know, like a, a house magic book or things like that. Um, but if I want like a down home folk magic book, I'll go to Llewellyn. Um, but then we also have places like Troy. Troy Publishing puts out really neat stuff. I think they're the ones that do a lot of Gemma Gary's work. Um, oh, right. So they, they have kind of a very um, serious quality to them. And then, of course, Scarlet Imprint, too. Scarlet Imprint is like, um, they're like when you really need the, like, intensity. Like, you need, like, a tome. Yes. That is going to teach you how to summon the Luciferian fire, uh, you know, or whatever it is like. Um, so there's there's different flavors that come from all of them. And so each of the publishers is going to bring you something different for sure. Mm -hmm. Another publisher that does not get mentioned enough, I think, is Three Hands Press. Oh, yeah. um, they publish a lot of plant poison plant medicine books. Uh, I think by Corrine Boyer. Um, mm. I think she wrote like the devil's garden or like the devil's plants or something like that. Um, that I wasn't the devil's remember. plantation, was it? I don't think so. Let me look for it. Um, I know I'm looking for it too. Sorry, y'all we're doing this on air. Um, but Three Hands Press is great. They have like um, really short read books, so they're not huge by any means. Um, for the most part, they're like a fast read. And I really appreciate that because sometimes with like esoteric um, spiritual witchcraft books, if you get a huge like 500 page tome, it's, it's going to be a slog to read through it. Um, so I really like these quick books. But yeah, Three Hands Press has like an amazing catalog of books. Um, and some really fascinating titles. Yeah, just like go scroll through their page or their website and like see what you can find. Um, yes, it's called Plants of the Devil by Corinne Boyer. Um, yeah, I'm looking at her stuff right now. It looks like she's got a few of them. She has like Under the Witching mm -hmm. Tree, Under the Bramble Arch, Dream Divination Plants, The Witch's Cabinet. She has quite a few out. I'll have to look into those. Those seem neat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some really fascinating titles. Um, I really like it. Um, yeah, those are some of my like, some of my favorite publishers are the ones that I go to the most. And uh, also, yeah, I got to give props to Llewellyn. Um, if I'm looking for a fluffy 101 book, which, hey, I yeah, I've been practicing for like 10 plus years. I, I still love my fluffy 101 books. Um, yes. I go to Llewellyn. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think Llewellyn too has like a, a much broader author range too. Cause so I, I don't know if you're familiar with the movie or the show Clueless, um, but there's Amber, the redhead. She's releasing a book through Llewellyn now. What? Yes. <laughs> the, the, the actress has, has written a book. And so it's coming out from, from Llewellyn. I think like right about now is, is when it's coming out. So I, I saw that on Instagram the other day. I'm like, wait, is that Amber? <laughs> it's like, yep. Wow. What's it about? Yeah. Um, I can't remember. I want to say it's about um, like psychic stuff or, or tuning into the spirits on the other side or something. It, it seems very kind of like positive um, kind of Laura Lynn Jackson-y um, so we'll see. I, I'm really curious. So Llewellyn just goes for it in that department. I like it. Um, so yeah, so these are kind of our, our favorite publishers um, and kind of, you know, the people that you may want to run around and get to know. Um, now I want to go into what I'm calling kind of our greatest hits here. And before we go into the section, just because I know we're going to get a lot of DMs and I get a lot of DMs like this through the Invoking Witchcraft Instagram page. Um, if you miss the name of the book or the name of the author, you can rewind the podcast. <laughs> so I just want to throw that out there because we get a lot of stuff like, hey, you mentioned this book. What was that book? And I'm like, you can rewind 
and catch it um, or listen right. to it again because we're entertaining as fuck. Why wouldn't you want to? Um, but yeah, so this is kind of like our greatest hits. I, I put out some different categories here. Um, and the first one is favorite book that you like to recommend for new witches mm-hmm. or maybe for the books if there's more than one. So I'm going to be dry and boring, but I think history is so important to understand. And a great book for that is The Rebirth of Witchcraft by Doreen Valiente. It really lays out the rebirth of witchcraft um, and modern witchcraft uh, through the age that we've been living through. Mm-hmm. And um, gives a really good background on Wicca and the resurgence that happened. So mm-hmm. I think it's really important for new witches to understand where, you know, certain stuff is like coming from and uh, what its flavor is and like where that um, like the threefold law, you know, like where does this stuff originate from? You know, it didn't mm-hmm. just poof out of the air. So it's a really great book. It was the first book recommended to me by um, my one of my first teachers and the coven that I dipped my toes into for a little bit. Um, it was one of the first books they told me to read. So I read it and I, you know, really was able to understand, you know, the context and the history of things. So that's what I would recommend to new witches. It's not, you know, like that Cunningham um, guide for the solitary practitioner spell book kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It is a history book. So it's not like getting your hands dirty um, right out the gate, which can be fun, but know your history. And that's so important because like you're talking about, you know, learning where things come from, where did it originate from, things like that. That is all going to help you build discernment, which we just did a big series on, so that when someone comes up to you and is like, oh, Wicca is an ancient pre-Christian religion, you can be like, um, no. (laughs) Like, I already know about this. I know kind of where this came from and the history of it. And then you're not going to be taken for a ride by somebody who has terrible information. So doing the history. Yeah. Yes. I was sitting on a bus many, many, many years ago. It was actually just after I had read Rebirth of Witchcraft. And I literally heard some chump behind me on the bus say, yes, Wicca is actually an ancient African religion. Oh, no. I I was like, wait a second. I was like, do you know who Gerald Gardner is? (laughs) None of it. it. So I kind of was like, hey, maybe you should check this out. Uh, You're very wrong. Um, So there's a lot of misinformation out there flying around. Absolutely. No, I think that's an excellent one to begin with. And again, you know, there's... There's this thing where people want witchcraft because they want the spells, but they don't want everything else that goes with it. And I think that's the immediate place where people go wrong is wanting just give me spells, give me spells, give me spells without context, history, all these other things that really form the foundations of it, um, mm-hmm. which I think is is really important. Um, one of the ones that I often recommend to people is um, Christopher... Pensac, like all of his work is great for new witches. Um, it's really accessible. It's very easy to understand. Um, but he did a series of books. That it's like the Temple of Witchcraft series. Um, I've only read the Inner Temple of Witchcraft, but I absolutely love it. And I, I consider it to be mandatory reading for all new witches who are looking to do spell work. Um, It's just Mm -hmm. a a really great place to start. He goes through the very basics, talks about why certain things are important to learn, how to go about them. It's, it's really well done. Awesome. I'm going to have to check his work out because I have not read any of Christopher Penzek. So I need to get on that. I know. I know. Sometimes I live under a rock. Like I didn't know you could escape it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, somehow I did. I don't know how I did. But I mean, it's like been on my radar. It's just like I haven't I have a we all do. I have like a a three mile long reading list. Yeah. So I'm like chipping away at it slowly but surely. And right now, like I was saying earlier at the start of the podcast, I'm really reading my books now. I'm not doing my ADHD thing where I get a new book, read one chapter and toss it to the side. I'm like fully digesting my books. So I need to get on that. 
when I'm done writing my book, I can start reading again. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the thing is making sure you have that. Oh my God. Yeah. No, yeah. There's a lot of, of books that I feel like for new witches are important. And I like those two in particular. And of course, you know, reference books are really helpful. Things like Cunningham's Encyclopedia of, what is it, Herbs? Magical Herbs? Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs, I think. Yes, it is. Yeah, Cunningham's uh, Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs. I always forget the title of that book. It's a great one. It's just a nice one for you to kind of get to know your plants, you know, what some of their uses are. Um, Tess Whitehurst also has one um, for flowers, and it's mm-hmm. really beautifully done. And I absolutely love it. It's the same idea. It's just a book that's just just lists and lists and lists of flowers and their uses and what their energy is like. And um, she gives like spells with them that she does. Uh, Very neat. Very neat. I liked her book a lot. You know, I'm going to go off on a slight tangent here real quick. Um, I was at my local library and I looked at the metaphysical section and then I was like, but wait a minute, the folklore section. So I went over to the folklore section of my library, which I live in a really small town. It's a small library. Um, And I found all these crazy folklore books on like Irish folklore. And unfortunately, each book had a little tab and it is like, I haven't been checked out since 2008. And if somebody doesn't check me out, I'm going into the goodbye pile. So I was like, I'm going to check you out. I promise I will save you. (laughs) I will save you. Yes. So also check your local library for like folkloric books and 101 witchcraft books. Cause, um, surprisingly, um, depending on your library, mine is weirdly liberal, uh, for the area that I live in and has a lot of witchcraft books. That is awesome. And we have to remember too, the interlibrary loan is a thing. Even if your library doesn't have it, you can request it and they will, they'll send it to your library so that you can check it out. Um, so don't be afraid to request books from other libraries in the system. It's really helpful. Um, I, I keep considering bringing my book down to our local library and, and donating a copy of it so that the library has it. But also, I'm worried I'm going to bring it. And like, I don't know, they're going to burn a cross on my lawn or something. I live in a small town as well. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily know if I want to be that person, but I would also like my book to be accessible in a library system. So Mm -hmm. we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. So what about witchcraft adjacent books? Like, you know, something that could be new age or maybe like an academic piece. What's your go-to? I am standing up and grabbing a book. I am. I am. Um, So if you want something, so if you like really heady shit, um, Astral Dynamics by Robert Bruce um, is the complete book of out-of-body experiences. And it's the most in-depth and intense book I've ever read on the subject of astral projection. Um, it reads like, if you've seen Donnie Darko, it reads like the philosophy of time travel, <laughs> where you're like, because he talks about like, projecting out of your physical body and then projecting again from the projected state to like, like go into different realms. And so he's talking about it, like kind of like a Russian doll where you like continue to project. And then you can go back to the lower level where you projected from the second time. And there will be like the double of you or like the shell there. That's just like wandering around back and forth, just like mindlessly, like a SIM waiting for you to come back to it. Um, and things like that. Oh my gosh, that sounds frightening. Right. It's, it's a little, it's, it's a little intense. Um, but I do, I do like it. Um, if you smoke a little weed before you read it, um, your mind will be blown. Okay. Yeah. Maybe (laughs) I'll explore that sometime. (laughs) Um, that sounds like a fun book, but it also sounds kind of like a mind fuck. A little bit. It's like reading anything on the Kabbalah. I'm like, this is too much for my brain. Right, right. So my favorite witchcraft adjacent book is Emma Wilby's Cunning Folk and Familiar Spirits. Uh, Hands down, one of the best books on like Scottish um, early modern witchcraft. 
And mm. I believe Brit- it's, it taps into British stuff as well. But her emphasis, um, as I remember, because it's been a long time since I've read the book, is very Scots oriented. It's to me essentially a handbook on how to do shamanic kind of witchcraft based spirit work and how that would have functioned for a person during that time period. And it overlays really neatly into um, our modern practice and working with spirits. So there's a lot to be gleaned from it. And then her other book, um, The Visions of Isabel Gowdy, is also a fantastic book, but it's a tome. It's a really dry read, but there are sections in it that are really, really good um, because she dissects this uh, witchcraft trial record. There are four of them on Isabel Gowdy and her experience. And she like goes through the position of the interviewers, the um, the church, the land, the political climate, the like bardic tradition, like she goes through all of it. Um, it's really, really good and really informative to practice, in my uh, opinion, uh, when it comes to spirit work. So that sounds amazing. I'm going to have to try and get that one because that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the ones that are kind of more academic, but are also very helpful in the witchcraft as far as understanding how this would have worked back then helps us apply to that now. Um I also like work by, um, we've talked about Sarita de Este, I believe is how you say her mm-hmm. last name, um, who does the the Hecate books, like yes. Liminal Rites um, oh, and Her Sacred Fires, things like that. Wonderful. They're not, they're not spell books. They're not like, okay, you take a purple candle and then this is how you summon Hecate and then she'll give you whatever you want. It's not like that. It's like, you know, what do we know about her, you know, based on lore, this and that, you know, the different levels of her and all this stuff so it's it's less kind of spell how to and more good information to to kind of figure it out Mm -hmm. yeah another person adjacent to like the hecate stuff is sarah johnson isles um she wrote a book on hecate and uh, it's really really good because it's an academic book and then a few years later you know these academic writers who write about witchcraft and like old gods and goddesses and the folklore around them I don't think they intended to be reaching the witchcraft community. Mm -hmm. And and then when Sarah Johnson Isles, I guess, realized that this was happening, she wrote a scathing essay on how witches and like pagans are poaching academic material for their practice. And like it was it was sharp tongue, but really, really good and really caused me to kind of put into perspective that we do somewhat poach information from them and then use it in our our practice and how a lot of what they're sharing can be taken out of context. But at the same time, it's really necessary because a lot of us witches are not archeologists or historians who have Mm. the means to be going to a high level university to study Mm. like underwater basket weaving. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, Oh yeah. my god! I have not heard anybody use that phrase in a really long time, and I hope that's amazing. No, but yeah, I agree that it's kind of like I, I do think that it is important to, you know, get your information from good academic sources, but also like cite that shit, y'all. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's, that's important. And before we move on to the next one, too, like so, like witchcraft adjacent books, too. I always like to throw out. Um, kind of paranormal investigation related or ghost related books because you know we talk about spirits so much in witchcraft and like you know all this stuff and you know working with the dead and necromancy or whatever and yet I'm shocked at the number of people who don't understand how like a haunting works or um, what it's like for human spirits that are trapped here on this side or whatnot so I always recommend two books Michelle Belanger her book uh, the ghost hunters survival guide um Sounds very much paranormal investigation book related, but it's actually a lot more of, I'm not sure I would say witchcraft related, but like energy moving, energy manipulation. She is an occultist and a, and a practitioner. Um, she writes several books on kind of occult topics as well. So she very much kind of brings both of the worlds together. So it's very witch friendly for working in, in kind of a paranormal haunting uh, scenario. Mm-hmm. And also Marianne Winkowski's book, 
uh, called When Ghosts Speak is, in my opinion, if you're going to be a paranormal investigator, it's mandatory reading um, because it's really well done. It has great information, but it's also a how-to book. Um, so she gives you instructions for things. And it's kind of hilarious because at the time she was writing it, she was the consultant for the show Ghost Whisperer. So the whole mm-hmm. thing starts off with her in Jennifer Love Hewitt's like kitchen. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, so I highly recommend it. But do you have a favorite fluffy book? And let me say that fluffy doesn't mean it's bad. It, I love a fluffy book, but do you have a favorite one? I do. And it's one of the first books I got my hands on. And it is uh, The Grimoire for the Green Witch by Anna Mora. And it's just like, it's, it's packed full of information. It's kind of a handbook. Um, it's really beautiful. There are a lot of correspondences, a lot of how to's, and it's just like a really fun read. And it always invigorates my practice. And it's fairly plant and earth oriented. So I like that as well. Um, but it's just, it's really fun. And obviously, I don't know if we would put Scott Cunningham in the fluff category, but Scott Cunningham's books are really heartwarming. And, yeah. you know, I have my nose in like a lot of academic books and a lot of like really intense books from like Scarlet Imprint and whatnot, and reading a lot of existential stuff in to be able to go back to like a fluffy book where it is fun and lighthearted. Like we need that in our practice too. So I really love Grimoire for the Green Witch. It's a lot of fun. It's a good, good book. I always go back to all of Silver Raven Wolf's stuff from back in the day, like Teen Witch, like was it like to ride a silver broomstick or whatever. It was just solid gold. And that stuff is so like nostalgic for me. And some Mm -hmm. of those spells are spells that like I learned when I was a teenager and still use some of them. Uh, It's just, I, I absolutely adore them. Um, I I would just kind of put that whole thing. A lot of people talk about that work, especially like her ones for teens as being kind of like very fluffy, but also you're a teenager. You don't need to learn how to kill people with your, pop it, whatever, like you need fluffy magic magic is important. (laughs) Learn how to protect your locker. Like, I love that stuff. Yeah, that sounds really cute. So what about a book that surprised you? Okay, I hope this does not insult the author. (laughs) But when I was on Amazon, I was looking for a folkloric book title and I forgot what it was. But you know how Amazon suggests like book bundles? Like if you buy this book, these other two books are really popular and people Mm. tend to buy them together. So one of them was Folk Witchcraft by Roger J. Horn. And I looked at the cover and it's like brown and and kind of, you know, looks very homey. Um, And I was like, okay, I'll just give it a shot. I had no idea what it was about besides the title, obviously, Folk Witchcraft. And uh, I read it cover to cover and I loved it. It was like a really easy read, but it was like dense and packed full of information and had like really practical workings and taught you how to connect with spirits and everything. So I was really surprised by it um, and really love it. And I'm actually surprised it's not a more popular book. Um, I think a lot of folks should definitely read that book. And I would also recommend that as a good one-on-one book as well. It's mm. really accessible. It's, it's a really good book. I'll have to get that one. That sounds good. Um, for me, the one that really surprised me was a book called Hex and Spells by Carl Herr. And it's about um, Pennsylvania Dutch folk magic. Mm -hmm. And it is a tiny little book. It's not very big. It's, I I think it's the only book that he put out, Um, but it's beautiful. It is so good. Like, it's just really well done. I love how he explains it. Um, It's a very kind of honest, very humble book um, where he kind of talks about the process of being what they call a Hexenmeister, um, which is kind of like their version of like a curandero or like a healer or um, kind of magic worker. Um, so that one was amazing. And I I have a deep love of Pennsylvania Dutch folk magic. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's beautiful. I love how they go about it. 
um, and kind of the the framing of the work. I, I really like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. And I love Pennsylvania Dutch folk magic as well. I actually have Pennsylvania Dutch heritage. Um, yeah, so that's um, like the powwow or the long lost friend is one of my favorite little books. It's really good. Yeah, um, I go through that thing a lot. What about books that you had like a really visceral, emotional reaction to? What book did that for you? Um, well, my poor husband, um, we were on a road trip. And when I started uh, The Flame in the Cauldron by Orion Foxwood, and I cried through it cover to cover um, because it was the first time that I had felt seen and the first time that I heard somebody in a kind of popular witchcraft book talk very honestly about the experience of the witch and not have it be something that's like, oh yeah, you can just like be a witch on the weekends or like, you know, like just call yourself a witch and you are a witch. Like it went further than that. And it really, it was the first time that I really saw myself in a book and could relate to it and didn't have to pretend like something else was going on, if that makes sense. It, w- it was really important to me, that book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to give that book a shot. I have read Candle at the Crossroads and that yeah. one was really, really good. Um, but yeah, I'm going to have to check that book out. Like They're very similar. It's just the flame in the cauldron is more witchy and less conjure mm. uh, kind of flavor but I, I really like both of them and they talk about a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. What about you? Oh boy. Uh, Apocalyptic witchcraft by Peter Gray, hands down the opening chapter to that book literally got my blood pumping and my heart racing. It is, uh, and I'm getting even like chills and goosebumps thinking about it. It really was a pivotal book for me and really informed my practice. And it's, I'll always say to everyone that ask about book recommendations, that it's one of the books you should definitely read because it's really applicable to the time and space that we live in right now. You know, I might say it's a spell book, but there aren't spells on how to's. That's not how Peter Gray works. Um, But he makes very interesting suggestions uh, through his work, like with dreaming and like your magical diary and things like that. So um, it was a book that really shook me to the, my core. And that was like, I believe the purpose of that book and it worked. <laughs> he did an amazing job with it. That sounds wonderful. I still have not read it, but it has been on my list for years now. <laughs> I'm sort of avoiding it because I know it's going to change my entire life and I'm not sure if I'm ready for that. Right. You kind of have to be prepared for that book. And, you know, it's like a, I would say it's like a 103 book or maybe 104. You, I would really, there's like prerequisites for that book. You really want to read The Rebirth of Witchcraft because he's Mm -hmm. using names within the traditions of witchcraft that you need to know the context of before you get into the book because you're going to read it if you don't know and be like, well, who's this person and what did they write? And why is he talking about them this way? You need mm-hmm. the context and whatnot um, to be able to understand what's going on. And also like some biblical references as well. You know, it's I apocalyptic. It's apocalyptic witchcraft. Um, so they do kind of get into like revelations and whatnot. Uh, it's it's really good. Especially for right now, because we are going through an apocalypse. So, yes. We are. We are in the midst of apocalypse. Now, I was going to guess yours on this next one, and I was correct um, ahead of time. So the favorite witchcraft book of all time is also... Again, apocalyptic witchcraft, hands down. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite book of all time. It's like my copy. I actually had to buy two copies uh, because the first one got destroyed And my second one is just like tattered. I've read it so many times and I reference it all the time. Um, Yeah, hands down my favorite book. Really recommend it to everyone. Just read Rebirth of Witchcraft first and then follow up with Apocalyptic Witchcraft. I love that. Um, What about you? 
My favorite book, it's it's really hard because there's different categories of favorite, like my most like beloved nostalgic book, the one that I felt was the best done book. Um, but the one that I really come back to as arguably my favorite book um, on a magical topic is um, Mary Grace Farron's book, Italian Folk Magic, is so well done. It's beautifully written. It has really helpful, insightful spells and prayers. And that was actually the book that really helped me to write my book because when I would get stuck, I would visit her book um, and see how she kind of like organized things or kind of like, because it's hard to always kind of communicate everything that you're trying to say in a book. And so hers was so similar to kind of the story I was trying to tell that I would kind of go back to hers and, she didn't even know this, but she really helped me write my book a lot. She was kind of there with me the whole time. Um, and it's one of those books that, and and I find this happens with really good, truly magical works where every time I pick it up, I find a new section that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's how you know it's good. Mm-hmm. I love books like that. Like um, just to, it's not witchcraft, but like as I read through my big book, in my 12 step recovery program, the book that is like foundational to my 12 step recovery, I find new things in it all the time. And I love books like that. Like where you're like, I've read this, but I didn't see it this way before. Um, the, I also find the Bible is like that as well. It's like, Oh, like I read this a million times, but today it's just like really sinking in. Um, so that's cool. I'm going to have to check that book out. I've heard you reference it before and I really need this see, I mean, this just like made my three mile long reading list turn <laughs> into like 10 miles. So <laughs> yes. And before we go here, just simply because I know we're going over time. Um, I get asked a lot of times for from people for like advanced witchcraft books, because there's a lot of beginner witchcraft books. Um, there are some books I would consider advanced. Um, but one specifically on that topic is literally called Advanced Witchcraft by um, E. Dane McCoy is who wrote it. And I do like that one. I actually got that book because I was at Powell's in Portland and it literally fell off the shelf. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> it was like, pick me. And I was like, okay. Um, so highly recommend that as well. Cool. Cool. Alrighty y'all. So don't DM us what books we might <laughs> recommend to you. Just listen to this episode because <laughs> these are our favorite books. And yeah, if you need a recommendation, just replay this episode. Cause yeah, we just discussed like all of our most favorite books within witchcraft and witchcraft adjacent books. Absolutely. And remember y'all do witchcraft, do it. Support for this podcast comes from our listeners. If you would like to support Invoking Witchcraft with a one-time donation, please go to invokingwitchcraft.com backslash donate. Or if you'd like to become a premium listener, join the coven at invokingwitchcraft.com backslash coven. There you'll get access to our exclusive Facebook group for discussion and connection, as well as access to occasional workshops. We hope to see you there.